Hello, and welcome to the To The Stars podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. The To The Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to the objective of getting humanity into space. And today we have a very, very special guest. We've been friends for several years. He's been doing documentaries for how long? For 30 years. For 30 years. Please welcome Elliot Hamoff. Uh, John, it's an unparalleled privilege and an honor to be here. And I'm, I'm just happy that uh, you invited me out. Good. Well, we're actually, because of all the do- various documentaries you've done, we're going to very... Um, each we're going to do multiple different shows here because it's um, there's so many great things to talk about. So, for openers, um, you've done various uh, shows just on the subject of space, and we're really looking at how travel into space and conquering space was originally conceived of those science fiction writers in the golden age. Well, that's true, and and I was in a unique situation having interviewed dozens of astronauts who walked on the moon and NASA officials, as well as the astronauts who didn't yet go to the moon. But it's it, it was just so, so funny to me how so many of the astronauts that we interviewed, I mean, like Buzz Aldrin and Pete Conrad and, and Alan Bean and Gordon and, and uh Dick Gordon and Alan Shepard, they told us while we were interviewing them how how uh, when they were little kids, they were reading the Pulp Fiction era, uh, uh, like you know the, the the comic books and the and the old timer Ray Bradbury shows, uh, Ray Bradbury uh, uh, like the the writings mm-hmm. and the and the articles and the magazines, and they were like you know eight year old, ten year old kids, and then to have been able to live their dream it was unbelievable and 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 it was just seeing their eyes light up when they were telling us about about yeah. those things uh, so that's one of the things that uh, I guess is why you why you have me here in the first place is because of the connection that I can draw from the astronauts who walked on the moon as well as the NASA people that built the rockets and built all the machinery to get those astronauts out into space uh, and Connect, make the connection to uh, that old era. Exactly. Uh, wh- In fact, where, you did this. There's this one documentary that, that when we first met that you did on the golden age of sci- sci-fi fantasy and adventure, which is one of the documentaries that people can actually uh, can find it by just they just Google the Pulp Fiction, the golden age of sci-fi fantasy and adventure to well, to, to get it online. Well, that's right. I mean, and and while I was doing that show, uh-huh. it was amazing how it's not only the current uh, efforts to get into space, uh, which is like you know ha- setting up lunar colonies on the moon, mm-hmm. yeah. and and space wars, and and even Donald Trump's uh, space force. That's all stuff that began in the early days, the 20th century, where where these people, these Pulp Fiction era people, uh, were writing. And, and then the more we found out that uh, all of the uh, sci-fi adventure people mm-hmm. uh, today of like you know, the, the Star Wars and the Star Trek were all based on those kinds of adventures back then. So everybody's... Uh, uh, viewing of of sci-fi shows as well as what's happening now in science in space is based on those old timers, uh, you know, back in the 1910s and 1920s. We also interviewed a lot of the old writers of that era, 
And it was just amazing how Ray Bradbury, uh, uh, that we interviewed, mm -hmm. how he, he came up with these kinds of stories that were then based on stories that they read as youngsters by, like, you know, L. Ron Hubbard. Right. In fact, L. Ron Hubbard wrote this one story called 210,000 Miles Straight Up, which is about, you know, original lunar landings and... You had Russia, and because it was during the Cold War, it was happening there, and so you had Russia, and you had the United States with their bases, and that was where the, the arms build up. So that, that begs the point now with, um, we spoke a little bit earlier about uh, the U.S. space fleet. So um, it's a very topical thing right now that is only now starting to break and people talking about it. What, what do you have to say about that? Well, it's there's there's definitely a connection between the different aspects of weaponizing space mm -hmm. and the ideas, the concepts that the people are developing now were all based in the old time fiction right. era. Right. And it's just amazing how it's almost like uh, uh, whenever a government, a secret government defense department uh, wants to come up with something new, a, a new weapon in space, they look at the old-time Pulp Fiction era uh, writings. Uh, so it, it is amazing. Um, there's, there's colleagues of mine who have developed, uh, you know, some, some, some revolutionary ideas, and, and I'm sure that some people are aware of, like, you know, lasers and satellites and weaponizing. The whole reason why Donald Trump wants to set up a space force is because he sees that's where the future battleground is. Mm -hmm. And and the, the, the battleground of space was like a favorite uh, topic in, uh, of like, you know, those old time writers a right. hundred years ago. And so talk about lasers uh, on satellites and missiles in, going through. And uh, th there's another thing called HARP, High Amplitude research project is is a device that will blow holes in the ozone layer above a hostile country that will then let the ultraviolet radiation from the sun hit the country and wipe out all living forms so that that's to me that's so, just so evil <laughs> well right but so but that stuff that was thought of back yeah, yeah, 100 no. years ago that's by Boris Badenov though right <laughs> One of the things that I personally like to do is look at it, a more positive aspect of space travel mm -hmm. and of going out into space. And in fact, what we're now setting up is a TV series that is based on what one of the old timers wrote about uh, that was a lunar colony of people populating the moon. Wow. And this is something that is now technologically possible and practical that in another 20 years will become reality. And so we looked at that story 100 years ago and said that's almost exactly like the story of MASH is not just MASH was not just a story, a war, 
uh, of right. the Korean War. It was about people in an enclosed area and interacting with each other in a hostile environment. So, in fact, the moon has an element on it that is not found here on the Earth. It's called helium-3. It's a very lightweight element that is used in fusion reactors. And you know a fusion is like a hydrogen bomb. And so a fusion reactor can provide more energy than any other source of energy in the world. So our... our our reactors right now are, are what type what type of power do they generate? What is that? Well, they're, they're, the coal power plants are becoming are going to be obsolete and phased out. The nuclear power plants are taking like uranium, mm-hmm. which is a very big element. It was a very big atom, right. and splitting it in half. And right. that half that that energy that's released when that atom is split is what creates the electricity, what creates the energy. Right. But that leaves then these two semi-large elements that are all radioactive, and that's the radioactive decay, and that's the nasty stuff that's left over. With fusion reactors, you have these lightweight elements that then combine together that then create energy that way. So, but right now, we're just at the point where the energy required to push these two lightweight atoms together is equal to or not as great as the energy that's being released. So, it's kind of like not profitable yet. Right. But just as soon as that becomes where we can develop the technology to make them come together and that produces greater energy, that's when it becomes profitable. And just to give you guys an idea that like one shuttle bay full of this stuff that's found all over the surface of the moon because of the sun's radiation, Mm -hmm. the cosmic wind, one shuttle bay full of this stuff could supply the entire electrical needs of the United States for like five years. That's amazing. Right. And so, and so, but that is exactly what's going to happen. And so a lot of the old timer stories of space travel, of going to other planets and all of that was more a matter of people interacting with other people. Right. In a hostile environment. Right. Which is what gave us the idea to come up with this TV series. And so so that's just a, 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 like a which cute is a, little thing. But that's also really interesting you say that because there was a meeting held in um, with at Robert Heinlein's house by with Ron Hubbard and several other authors at the time. This was after World War II, and as Korea was starting to, to escalate, they wanted to conceive a plan to get man into space and to stop the, the arms race and create a space race. And the whole idea there was to create, let's tackle the unknown enemy of space, and that's what, we're, that's what the opponent is and not each other. Right. So anyway, that's right. just the point we're just saying there, like the, you know, tackling those things in a hostile environment. Right. And, and uh, another thing, when you were talking about World War II, mm-hmm. is there's another story that I have that uh, uh, you might not be aware of when you talked about World War II, is that I interviewed uh, the American, the first American rocket scientist who interviewed Werner von Braun 
when he surrendered at the end of World War II and he came to America and was then debriefed by this American scientist, uh, rocket scientist by the name of Bob Truax, who was a captain in the Navy. Mm. And he told me when we did a show profiling his life that he had his idea for sea-based missiles and for human traveling into space using reusable rockets. That that was exactly what Werner von Braun was wanting to do, and Truex read a story. I can't remember exactly what story it was, but it was from the Pulp Fiction era that he wanted to develop reusable rockets. And he was the first one to come up with the idea for putting missiles and rockets onto because, submarines. Right. And at first <clears throat> it was it was the, a crazy idea because the rockets were controlled by the Air Force and the boats and the submarines were controlled by the Navy. And so having those two come together and then to think of a rocket as a reusable, it, it wasn't like it, it wasn't possible. But Truex said how he read a story and uh, from the old timey times uh, that that's what gave him the idea. Wow! And and it's a, a, a cute trivia point that this guy Bob Truex was the only Navy guy who was elected into the Air Force Hall of Fame because of his because of his concepts and ideas of putting together a rocket onto a submarine as well as designing a lot of the first generation rockets right. in America which is uh, I think that's that's interesting how I know that the, um, the fighter pilot uniforms that they wear for their, their, their suits that they wear when they're, they're flying their jets, they actually came up as a design from Heinlein, where you know earlier on, the um, Defense Department would pull together the various science fiction writers and have them come up with some different thoughts and ideas and designs that were then to see if that, if that could be transformed, because they knew that this is, this is what the future held, is what these guys were conceiving and thinking. It was, it was known that it's a real-life connection and what you've been able to, to study and, and find, you know, because we talked earlier about Ray Bradbury with uh, earbuds and Highline with virtual reality, and we had Hubbard with um, Kindle. He talked about a device that you hold in your hand that had uh, books that you could read, you know, digitally on a, on a handheld device. So you've got these science fiction authors that were conceiving these things that now become science fact. Well, it's a, a funny thing that you brought up, the astronauts, uh, the spacesuits, uh-huh. because it, it just brought to, me, uh, brought to my mind a very funny story that uh, before the Apollo missions to the moon, uh-huh. there was another project called Project Gemini which were two astronauts that went into space to test the various technologies uh, that were going to have to be developed. So that was all in the developing stages, the Project Gemini that I also did a show on uh, called Project Gemini Bridge to the Moon. Sorry, I had to throw in that little plug. <laughs> but it's, it's when we interviewed uh, one of the astronauts called Frank Borman, uh-huh. Uh, who was a Gemini astronaut, as well as the Apollo 8 astronaut. There were several in, in the Gemini series, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. There, there were actually uh, 12 uh, missions. And um, 
And of course, we interviewed like you know almost all of the astronauts yeah. who were there, which was the time when they were all flying by the seat of their pants with their with their you know, flying scarf, and, uh, and because <laughs> because they were testing the technology that was not yet really properly flushed out. So right. that was the mission. So uh, Frank Borman, we interviewed him, and he was telling us about the different spacesuits that they were trying on. And 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 it's like one of the, the, the funny things is that while they were in their simulators and things is their spacesuits and things that was then, you know, developed by Heinlein and, and, and they're testing a lot of different kinds of spacesuits is that they didn't realize that when they put them in the simulators that uh, that the, the, the spacesuits acted one way but when they went out into space or something that the uh, then the, the suits in zero gravity and w- w- with the zero uh, atmosphere it, it's like the spacesuits then expanded out and then they couldn't like move around. The Stay Puff Marshmallow the, Man. <laughs> and so they and so it's like there was that was when they were testing the different designs right um, so but it was it, it was that the, the they had to test the different designs but the people that designed those different outfits could only look at what the old timers wrote about right and so and that was just a very funny thing that, that the that the designers of the spacesuits were totally dependent on looking at what the uh, Pulp Fiction era writers were 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 envisioning mm-hmm. for themselves that then carried through to the actual the actual proving of the of the actual testing of the of the machinery and the technologies. That's so. amazing on that stuff. That because it really has proven itself out. And like I said, your one documentary you did on the the golden age of of sci fi fantasy and adventure definitely broached that and talked about that. Well, right. I mean, and it also, and, and we didn't even touch upon the the robotic spaceships that are going that, that went off to Jupiter and 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 Mars and Saturn and and beyond and to the end to the edges of the solar system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of those things, all of those advances. And then, of course, you know, the you probably don't aren't aware that the Viking. Uh, missions to Mars in the mid 1970s mm-hmm. was at least as difficult as the moon missions were, the Apollo landing of men, because that was the absolute pinnacle of of space exploration when we soft landed a vehicle on Mars and then had so many experiments. That were testing uh, the the different soils. So and that was n- overshadowed by the uh, astronauts. But it was all the result of of the old timers talking about life on Mars and the s- need to search for life on Mars, which was the next the next step mm-hmm. after the moon landings. So it's it's amazing at how the designers of the Martian landings of the Viking probes and the Pathfinder probes. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, the, those old timers were responsible for all, so much of what we see now and know about space travel. That's amazing. Well, thank you very much, Elliot. Now, if someone wants to be able to find out more about you or the products, where do they go? 
Well, they could co- go to my website at uh, www.globalscience.biz. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a Facebook page of Global Science Productions. Uh, and, of course, on YouTube, there's hundreds of trailers and video clips of all of my space shows and everything else about the sciences uh, that we did shows on over the past 30 years. That's great. Thank you for listening. In his introduction to Battlefield Earth, Erwin Hubbard wrote that science fiction, particularly in its golden age, had a mission, beating the drum to get man to the stars. The To the Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to this objective. Subscribe to the To the Stars podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Again, thank you very much, Elliot. Like I said before, it's an unparalleled privilege and an honor to be here, John.